the past. And so our, our understanding of antibodies, of natural immunity has uh, uh, changed a, a great deal from the onset of the pandemic and is still evolving. Um, I understand that the vaccine would uh, um, help if, if, if you catch COVID and uh, you'll be able to have less symptoms um, from contracting it. But with me having COVID in the past and to having antibodies um, with my current um, age group and uh, uh, fitness, physical fitness level, um, it's not necessarily a fear of mine. Uh, taking the vaccine, um, like I said, it would decrease my chances of uh, uh, having a severe reaction, but it does open me up to the, albeit rare chance, but the possibility of having an adverse reaction to the vaccine itself. Um, I don't believe that being unvaccinated means infected or being vaccinated means um, uninfected. You can still catch COVID um, with or without having the vaccine. Well, there's Orlando Magic forward. Johnny Azic uh, really laying it out there, the case for a risk-benefit analysis for every individual, and especially for those who have been vaccinated and the ever-increasing evidence that uh, natural immunity does have some sway in keeping you protected. Gives you memory cells, B cells, T cells, and uh, antibodies or not, you still have some protection because those uh, those cells are like locked and loaded guns. And when a virus intruder comes into your house, they can they can gear up a response much more quickly than if they hadn't been educated. We can talk more about immunology uh, later, but right now I want to talk with a good friend uh, from uh, PCS Advisors, Paul Siegert at. C underscore Seagert on Twitter, uh, talking about the impact on the workforce already. You know, employers can't uh, can't find workers, and now they're going to with this max mandate. What's it going to do? And Paul has his finger on the pulse of that. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hey, so it looks like whether it's the airline industry, whether it is, of course, the healthcare industry uh, across the land, uh, with I think more. Rules coming down from OSHA, more enforcement rules coming down from Center for Medicaid Services, uh, Medicare and Medicaid Services for healthcare facilities. It's not going to get any better soon, is it? It's only going to get worse. Well, that's true. And as is often the case with these things, it's going to impact different sized employers in a different way. The one size fits all approach is a lot easier to navigate if you're a really large facility in an urban area with a deep hiring pool and deep resources, but we're seeing the impact on more rural facilities. is not as easy for them to navigate. Just think about the cost of testing. When you have a, a mandate that says you have to get vaccinated or submit to weekly testing, who's going to pay for that? And I'm not an anti, I'm not against vaccines or anything, but when you just look at the practical implications and the practical implementation that goes on, it's creating uh, a big issue for the smaller employers that are involved. Well, as the leader of a small rural hospital, uh, I was uh, actually CNN was up filming our story and our community story and, and the impact that the vaccine mandate. We were proudly and I was publicly and nationally quoted as being anti-vax mandate for our institution. And wink, wink, come join us because we're down uh, about a, well, 20 percent of our workforce uh, that have jumped off board to, to get more lucrative assignments in the nursing realm, uh, traveling positions and so forth. And I'm like, hey, we're, you know, everyone wears N95 masks when we're ta- when we're ca- taking care of patients. Many of the people who are unvaccinated have had the disease. I, I give credit for that. It, the the data is pretty clear. Uh, that that there's good reason to believe you have great immunity, uh, maybe as good, if not better, than uh, than than the vaccine. But um, 
and and CNN was uh, in filming, and I said, they said, how can you do that? Uh, what about the danger? To, I said, look, the danger to my the patients in our community is coming to the hospital and not having a worker to take care of them when they have a, a an auto wreck or, 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 or an agricultural right. wreck or COVID, right? I mean, it's just not practical, Paul. And I don't know what's, the, there's a blind spot at the government, isn't there? There's an incredible blind spot in this whole conversation for the duration of the conversation. It's amazing to me that when you look at other countries, the UK is an example. When they're trying to gauge herd immunity in their population, they go out and randomly blood test people. Uh, and that's their way of capturing not only those who would have antibodies in their system from vaccination, but also from natural infection and recovery from that. And as you pointed out, study after study shows that is a real thing. But in our mainstream media conversation, we seem to ignore that. In the mandates, we seem to ignore that. Although, I think before the presidential announcement, we were starting to see some really uh, good developments there. Kettering Health in Ohio, as an example, a significant health care employer, added that exemption to their mandate where you could get vaccinated. You could have a medical exemption, a religious exemption, or you could also say, hey, I've had COVID, here's and submit to an antibody test. And in their policy, they would allow their employees to submit the results of the test quarterly mm -hmm. to show that it continued to be in their system and they continued to be protected. And so I thought that that's a really smart way to handle it and creative and it follows the whole body of science, not just the political science that this that seems to now be driving this conversation so much. Yeah, I think you're right. I look, I we had a really vigorous discussion the other day at the, at the among the medical staff about whether you even need to prove in terms of your your resistance to severe disease or hospitalization whether really you'd even need to prove that you have uh, antibodies because if you've had the disease right. And you have memory B and T cells. You are the problem with COVID is that you don't mount an immune response before it has a chance to really replicate. You know, much more rapidly than other viruses. It just there's a delayed response. That's not that shouldn't be the case. Immunologically speaking, uh, they should be able to catch up quickly. Those people that have memory cells. But you know, okay, let's say as a as a pull back from that. Okay, show me your antibodies, whether by vaccine or by infection, and you, you know, you're part of the club. You're immune. <laughs> Come on in. Please right. work for us. Right. That's a reasonable yeah. accommodation. I did want to ask you about religious exemptions. What what kind of standards are, are employees going to be expected to meet? Are you going to need something from your shaman, your rabbi, your priest, your pastor, your Wiccan temple leader, uh, or is a, is a personal attestation? What's that looking like? Well, it it very quickly opens up a pretty big can of worms for employers uh, when they ask for any proof of that. They can open themselves up to lawsuits and, and liability, so they need to consult with their, their employment law experts, but the general thinking is that you pretty much have to accept that at face value. That being the case, what's really interesting to me is to see how some employers then are treating that exemption. They're accepting the exemption, but look at United as an example of what I'm saying. They're, they laid off 593 workers. Now they have a big workforce, 67,000. They laid off 593, and that's what we're talking about mostly in the media right now. What we're not talking about is the 2,000 people who applied for and were granted a religious exemption. Wow. But the way that they handled that, yeah, so now you have 2,500, 2,600, so 3.7% of their 67,000 workforce, you think of your facility, you can't 
just tell 3.7% to see you later and still operate okay. But they can, so they, they did that because of the de facto firing that they applied to those 2,000. They told them, we accept your exemption, but all those that are on a religious exemption are now on unpaid leave. And that was supposed to go into effect yesterday, but naturally it's getting challenged in the courts. They're getting sued over that. And so they extended it to the 15th of October. So then do you get the exception? And then how are they going to interpret that or uh, treat that in the way that they handle that group of workers is a really whole nother question. (laughs) I I heard uh, it reported, and, and this is second or third hand, okay, but it was told to me that there are CEOs in small rural hospitals and, you know, pretty savvy people that when people have raised as their religious exemption that they don't want to take a vaccine that in the case of the mRNA vaccines, they're, while they're not produced on a on a fetal cell line, an aborted fetal cell line uh, platform, they were they were developed and, and researched partially on those. And that is an objection right. that people state they have. Yeah. And then what some of these bosses are saying is, OK, good. Under our employee benefits plan, our health plan that you're a member of, we're going to not. We're not going to pay for Tylenol. Well, Tylenol you wouldn't pay for over the counter, but any generic or other drug that's produced on a platform that on and are is researched on a platform, which is like the majority of drugs, we're not going to pay for those because we just want you to be consistent. Wink, wink. And I, I don't know whether they would get away from that, but I thought that's pretty cute, don't you? <laughs> yeah, it does put a spotlight on the validity of that or the veracity of their claim. Yeah, but it's, it's funny that we're, this is where we are at this point in this conversation where yeah. we're talking about things we never thought we would talk about. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've seen stories out of the UK uh, published in pure you know, medical journals saying what is wrong with you guys in the U.S. that you don't recognize natural immunity as having some cred. It gives you cred. It, you got you got Corona cred, you know, <laughs> I just don't we still it. have some of the best studies that support it are coming out of our country. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's incredible, uh, and it's been back know. to it's the just... beginning. They can go all the way back to Italy, some of the earliest, hardest hit places, and they go and they check the people, and they still have immunity. And so, a lot of the in the mainstream conversation, resistance to accounting for it has been, well, we don't know how long it'll last. We also didn't know how long, or right. the, the vaccines would be effective for. And as it turns out, J and J just this week said you should come out and get a booster after two months. I mean, yeah. so. That's no. not very genuine, I would say. No, no and, I, and look, I'm on record as saying, look, if you want to have extra certainty, there is nothing wrong with getting a booster. Pick the right. number six to 12 months after you've had an infection, particularly if it was a mild infection, you know, and you want just some assurance. I've been asking people who don't want to get a booster for whatever reason to really consider when a, a, a Delta specific variant uh, booster comes out, that would be the time. Just like, okay, I had influenza a year or two ago and I hadn't gotten the vaccine. I think I might get a booster. I, you know, get the new, the new version, the latest, greatest influenza right, vaccine. Right. You know, we're, we're used to doing that. And I think that would be a common sense approach for people to take as well. You know, there's some reason to this. <laughs> well, of course. Yeah. And I think we would get more buy-in from people if we, in general, especially all the healthcare professionals uh, who we need very much and are in short supply, if we would have a full a conversation that accounted for the whole all the, the body of science related to this, yeah. and you've got talking now, to Paul Seeger. Religious. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I was going to say before it slips my mind that religious uh, exemption that you brought up. Thirteen states now are requiring healthcare as of 
I think yesterday or today, healthcare workers to get the vaccine. Three of them are not accepting religious exemptions in the process. Oh, wow. Well, that's yeah. going to get them in trouble. That's got to get them in trouble. I mean, yeah, it's a First Amendment issue there. Without a doubt. Yeah. Now, uh, we're talking with Paul Siegert, and you can uh, stay in touch with him on Twitter at C underscore uh, Siegert, S-E-E-G-E-R-T, uh, PCS Advisors, a uh, managing partner there and a, uh, a benefits uh, uh, expert. Um, let's Okay, we've talked about the hammer, like you're going to get laid off. And up in New York, the governor says you're gonna, when you get laid off or resign or whatever, well, you don't get unemployment benefits. I'm thinking, wow. We, yeah, you're fired so, for cause. Yeah, lots of hammer. But how about some honey? Are any companies using honey and, and incentives to get the vaccine? And is that working? Well, they did that uh, largely. That was the approach. And you still have some very large employers that say, well, before the presidential announcement, which has kind of taken over the conversation. But before that, you had even some very large employers. Southwest Airlines and so on that were saying, hey, we're going to continue to go the positive route on this in terms of how we talk to our employees about handling this and in, in adding encouragement. And there have been uh, various forms of reward for getting vaccinated. It still has the glaring hole that for the most part, these programs haven't acknowledged national immunity. I think we'd they would get more buy-in and, and, and so on if they did. But it'll still be a conversation in that below yeah. 100 employee market. How do we best yeah. address this? Yeah. And and they don't necessarily have the same resources to manage a program. Uh, and with the stick involved and all the mm-hmm. requirements. So I think they, they'll get better results likely by encouraging. Mm-hmm. The other argument is the data is saying, hey, the last few holdouts that, depending who you read, 20 to 30 percent are not, they're not going to be, they didn't do it for a hundred dollar gift card they're not going to do it for a thousand right right you know one thing that that makes a lot of sense and i think again i i try to be very i try to be as balls and strikes common sense and fair to everyone involved when we have a discussion but i think from an employer standpoint you know there's already a precedent for charging increased premiums especially if it's an employer-sponsored health plan increased premiums or on the other hand not giving discounts uh, for people that either engage in high cost health related activities like smoking, overweight, not watching your blood pressure, controlling your diabetes. Um, or on the other hand, if you are smoking and then you stop smoking, you get a, a premium discount, you know, your share of the of the healthcare premium. I think was it. Uh, Delta that did that originally, some airline I thought did that, where they just, they just, there was a surcharge if you weren't vaccinated, because after all, it costs the company in direct costs when you get sick, even if you're mildly ill, um, because you're going to have to pay for some, you know, care, you know, yeah. and and on the other end, there's indirect costs with overtime for other workers that have to pick up the speed or, or pick up the, the right. load or uh, temporary workers. So to me, that's sort of a reasonable tr- consequences of your action, uh, sort of a freedom and responsibility thing that I would think most conservatives should be comfortable with. What say you? Yeah, it's, I think, a well-worn path, and it makes sense. The It's 30% is what the kind of the standard has been since the Affordable Care Act yeah. kicked in, that you could increase 
the uh, yeah. the premium deduction by as much as 30% of the total for those types oh. of behaviors. Smoking surcharges are a really good example that's very established. Right. And right. then I think so long as they were to account for national immunity in the process, they could get buy-in from the majority of people. Yeah, yeah, good idea, good idea. Hey, well, it's always great to talk with you. Uh, we haven't talked in a while. We'll stay in touch as the uh, as the wars over employment rules and <laughs> presidential mandates and science and public policy all intersect. It's an interesting time, and I know that uh, the HR world and the benefits world is something that strikes fear into the hearts and minds of all leaders, and at the other time confuses uh, employees too. And I know you're always uh, looking out for it for uh, for both sides to make sure everyone gets treated fairly. Paul Seeger, thanks for being with us, my friend. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. There he is, Paul Seeger. Hey, when we come back, what do you think about employer-employee relationships? Have you been at an... I've heard about workplaces where there's 105 employees before the mandate. Suddenly, there's 99 employees. Hmm. Wonder why. Must just be market forces, right? Ha, I doubt it. Give me a buzz. 314-912-1019. That's 912-1019. We're News Talk STL, and we are The Tobler Show. Max Foise, along with me, Randy Tobler. Join me, won't you? When we come back, we got to talk about Millie McKenzie and uh, Afghanistan and all that. We want to talk about that and mix it up before we talk to Kerry Sheffield about the budget debacle going on. So lots more to come up on the show. Stay there. It's your testimony that you recommended 2,500 troops uh, approximately stay in Afghanistan? Um, as I've said many times before this committee and other committees, I don't share my personal recommendations to the president, but I can tell you my personal opinion and my assessment if that's what you want. Yes, please. Um, yes, my assessment was uh, back in the fall of 20, and it remained consistent throughout, that uh, we should keep a steady state of 2,500, and it could bounce up to 3,500, maybe something like that, uh, in order to move toward a negotiated gated solution. Did you present? Did you ever present that assessment personally to President Biden? I don't discuss exactly what uh, my conversations are with the sitting president in the Oval Office, but I can tell you what my personal opinion was, and I'm okay. always candid. General McKenzie, do you share that assessment? Senator, I do share that assessment. Um, did you ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? Again, I'm not going to be able to comment on those executive discussions. Did General Miller ever present that opinion personally to President Biden? I think it would be best to ask him. I believe that his opinion was well heard. Well, this was a most interesting exchange of the week. I didn't I didn't set that up as the the clip of the week because I couldn't decide if it was that one or or the long a clip series of them we broke up from uh, from Rand Paul incinerating DHS or HHS Secretary Javier Becerra, but but this was a very and why why I found it very interesting was there were people in the conservative talkosphere is that a new word I don't know what I like talk, it talkosphere yeah who. Tucker Carlson just went after the generals, called them lily, I don't know what his exact words were, but my what I took home was like, you little-livered cowards, you won't tell us what you told the president. But but I read it the other way. As I heard it in real time, my immediate reaction was, no, 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 they did tell the president. They've just told you that uh, at the very end, when he said, uh, the, the McKenzie said, well, I can't speak for Mr. Miller, but, but his his sentiments were known. And I think uh, th- there's veiled references to where I'm not going to say explicitly what I told the president, but my views were known. Okay. To me, Biden, and, and, and now remember, for those of you who listen to the show regularly, and if you don't, that's okay. But we'll have a show mandate coming down from Biden and you'll be fired if you don't. But that's okay. Uh, <laughs> Max is breaking up here. Um, 
You can go back and listen to one of the podcasts. You can navigate to the show page on NewstalkSTL.com, and then you can uh, podcast. I think it was uh, two weeks ago. We talked to Dakota Wood. I forget which hour. <laughs> You'll have to listen to all three. Oh, sorry. Um, and um, Dakota Wood, who's a, a with Heritage. I mean, this guy, he's been involved in strategic policy from Iraq to, I mean, he at, at the levels of, you know, when, when generals were generals and strategists were strategists and America always won as best they could. Until the civilians got in the way, Merca always wins. And Dakota said, I can tell you, and I felt as though he was really stepping out on edge. He said, I can tell you, Randy, under authority, I have authority to tell you, he had no less than four or five pieces of advice not to do what he did. I mean, I don't remember the exact words, but I remember he said four or five, you know, advice otherwise than what happened. And 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 that coupled with what Millie and McKenzie, for all of their fault, yeah, I can't stand that Millie made up congressional spectacle testimony out of white rage for crying out loud and wokeness and he's reading Ibram Kent, whatever. I please let's get over that. Okay. So he's got a little that's if you're gonna get I what I understand from military people, if you're a military people, <laughs> call me. At 912-1019 and tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding from military people is that you have to, in order to climb the ladder of, of military leadership to where you've got, I mean, these guys have like, they have to do shoulder exercises all day to hold their shoulders back with all the medals and the stripes hanging down from them um, in the front of their shirt, you know, of their uniform. You've got to toe the party line, whatever whatever party is in power, whatever leader is in power at that time. You've got to shift your wins. I, that's what I understand. If you are a highly principled person when it comes to the political, the socio-political aspects of the forces, which are ever increasingly, unfortunately, a part of it now that the U.S. military is a social experiment. My understanding is you just you're going to plateau. You're you're not going to rise further. So okay, so he's got to talk wokeness. He's got to be, be a woke guy. Okay, but I I did to give him credit. I heard very clearly Millie and McKenzie, and by reference, McKenzie implied that Miller all told him to leave some forces there at least until the evacuation was done. I mean, we can talk about whether they felt that permanently. I felt that permanently. Jim Talent has told me he feels, feels that permanently. I, I think any reasonable person would say, why would you why would you abandon an asset like Bagram Air Force right in the heart of the, the belly of the beast when you have intelligence? ISR, I learned that. Intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. Ha <laughs> ha. I think that's right. Um, I desperately want to, I'm like, I desperately wish I would have done the military. I so honor those guys and I wish I would have. So I try my best to try to be an amateur military guy because uh, they're so strong. But, but we had that asset there. And so I thought it was wise to keep 2,500 people there. A lot of people that know a lot more than me and I respect a lot more said, yeah, we should have kept a footprint there. We could have kept an eye on things and kept, before it got out of control, snuffed it out, yada, yada. And now we got nothing. But it's clear to me from that testimony yeah, these guys, if they were really wanted to be strident and and call Biden out for the idiot he was when he made that mistake, that was an idiot mistake strategically. They would have said, yes, that's my personal opinion. And as the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, chair, I, Mark Thoroughly Modern Millie, told him so in the Oval Office on January 1st, uh, January 18th, 2021, shortly after his inauguration. I, I don't know, but I guess you're not supposed to do that or he's maybe, I don't know what the deal is, but it's clear to me he did that. And I think some commentators have acknowledged that. It's clear that they were they were saying, hey, 
I just follow the orders. I told him I thought it was a mistake, but he's the commander in chief. And as a soldier, I got to follow orders. Now, what I don't understand is, and again, maybe Max, you know, but at what point is a soldier at any level when they feel as though the troops are at risk under their command or the national security? I mean, there's got to be some standard at which it is their duty to resign rather than to file an order. I think there's there's something in the military code that, that demands that. That's their duty, I think. Yeah, because I, I mean, they, as far well, as my very limited understanding, I don't think that you can directly challenge any kind of commanding officer. And if you're given orders, you are to follow those orders. And so as far as any kind of complaint, taking up the chain of command, I'm not sure how that works. I mean, certainly you would have issues that have to go up the chain. And I guess yeah. that ends with the president. I mean, as president yeah. Biden has said, the buck stops with him. But I mean, I would think that I, I don't know, please, please, please call me if you're in the military. And if you know the answer to this question, cause I don't want to, I'm just speculating, but I, I recall talking to people reading that, that the right thing to do is if you're in a command position and you are basically told either because you're, you're understaffed, you're, you're under-resourced, you, you're, you know that it's going to be a bloodbath, you're walking into an ambush, and in this larger sense, you're abandoning the, the airport that you should have evacuated from and instead told to go to one that, you're, that you can't defend because it's just an alleyway separating it from the city, and you got the vermin right next to where you're trying. Okay. You have an option. You either follow the order and shut up or you resign and you say, I can't do this. And I thought I thought that like either option is good, but you shouldn't go against your conscience and follow an order, you know, to be wrong. And only later to say it was wrong, but I followed it anyway. I don't know. There's a matter of honor. There's a matter of code. There's a matter of hierarchical uh, obedience. These are all good questions. I don't know. One from the military wants to call me. We can, Max can like modulate your voice so where no one knows who you are. Can't you, Max? I don't um, know. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just, this, this troubles me because I think there's been examples before. Was it during Obama's administration? Was it Stan Crystal? No, he got fired. I thought that I've heard in the past, there's been people that have just resigned because they just couldn't, they just, I can't do this, you know? I don't know. But, um, at any rate, so uh, I, I think we're going to step aside, but I did want to play. Remember now, I wanted to play one final thing. Remember that you now have the generals on record essentially saying, look, it was well known to President Biden. We did not agree with abandoning everyone. We should have left 2,500 troops there at a minimum for the short time. They disagreed with the strategic decision that was ultimately made. I think we can agree on that. And yet here is what George George Biden, Joe Biden told George Snuffleupagus on ABC News in August after the Afghanistan debacle had unfolded. And this is a something you need to to take into mind, a little lesson into political record rhetoric after you hear this. So no one, no one told your military advisors to not tell you, no, we should just keep 2,500 troops. It's been a stable situation for the last several years. We can do that. We can continue to do that. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Okay. It's the last that I can't. Four words. Those four words. When you hear those four words. No, no one said that to me that I can recall. Yeah. yeah. Remember, the, <laughs> remember, what were those four words again? No, no one said that to me and I can recall. <laughs> when you hear those four words, everything that you heard before, and at least for the immediate past, is an absolute lie. 
<laughs> Not that I can recall. Oh, I just can't. I don't remember that blue dress or the cigar. I'm sorry. I just don't recall. I don't recall, said Bill Clinton, right? I mean, it's just, I don't know that he said that, but you know what I mean. It's just hilarious when people, when politicians are trying to escape, and there are truly times when you can't recall. It's like, my God, we talked about a million. It happens a lot. You know, you're at a meeting, and uh, 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 two months later, it's like, well, remember when I said that? It's like, I don't remember that, but I trust you. I'm sure you said it. That's fine. You know, but now with every every bit of everything that everyone says on a, a cell phone or a microphone or whatever, boy, you got to be careful. And, and you know that someone's going to come out and throw you under the bus, President Biden, if you screw up and you try to point the finger on someone else. Because you, as the chief Democrat in charge, have been complicit with the victim mentality that pervades our whole society. Victim, 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 victim. Everyone's got to be a victim. No one wants to own anything. Well, I'll own it when I make a mistake. And when I say something that's false, I won't be able to recall it. I'm Randy Tobler, and we'll be <laughs> and we'll be right back when we talk to Kerry Sheffield about the debacle called the Budget Reconciliation and Infrastructure Bill. We'll be back. Then I can recall. My fear is that if the dual agreement that was reached is broken and we just passed the infrastructure bill, the leverage that we have here in the Senate to pass the reconciliation bill will be largely gone. I think the one hope we have is to say, look, if you guys want to pass the infrastructure bill, I want to pass it. You want to pass that? You're going to have to deal with infrastructure. You're going to have to deal with reconciliation. You can't just keep slow walking this thing. Okay, well, there's uh, President Biden. I mean, uh, President uh, Sanders, President Bernie. I mean, he's really wielding some power up there, basically saying, look, we're going to hold the infrastructure bill hostage to the budget reconciliation bill. And Pelosi now has warring <laughs> uh, you know, factions in her own party. And I don't know if she's going to be able to pull it together to get something that's watered down. Nothing. No one knows. All we know is that she's delayed a vote on a Senate-passed infrastructure bill. And that's really drawn a lot of, uh, of criticism from uh, you know the the moderates and those who say, "Hey, let's get the let's give Biden and the Democrats something because if we come out of this with nothing, because you're too beholden to the progressives who want this spendathon called a budget reconciliation bill that they keep trying to they keep trying to ram amnesty in there and everything else." And the the parliamentarian says, "No, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do." That. You heard that they increase the the penalties to to employers who. Uh, if they if they intentionally willfully uh, you know have a harmful workplace meaning COVID nineteen vaccination if you don't enforce that it went from what thirteen thousand to fourteen thousand to seventy thousand now seven hundred thousand per per incident I think they snuck that in last week free health care free child care earlier Medicare uh, free uh, preschool right they have, that's in the bill college I think community college for a couple years. And oh, by the way, it doesn't cost anything. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I you need to talk to my wife, Helene, because I told her the other day, I've had my eye on a turbo Maserati. And I said, hon, you know, if, if we cashed out like our entire retirement plan and we paid for it, it wouldn't cost anything. We wouldn't have any debt. We wouldn't be paying any. It's all paid for. And it wouldn't cost anything. 
I spent that night in the doghouse, literally, outside with Simba, the wonder dog, who accompanies me here on the show, on the couch at the Liberty Lair. Good boy, Simba, good boy. It's just you and me, bud, because my wife doesn't believe me that it won't cost anything when my turbocharged Maserati's already paid for. I, I, I'm utterly amazed that they think you're that stupid. Well, no, I'm not, because they've gotten away with it first with Obamacare, right? They got away with it there. They've gotten away with it over and over and over again because they know how to wield power. Now, I started the top of the show talking about power and tyranny and the abuse of power. It is on full, well, I can't say male peacock anymore. A a, a peacock uh, who considers themselves male in full fan display. (laughs) You're seeing tyranny on display in Washington, D.C. again, where people have an abuse of power and they're going to take money out of the system, capital out of the system, give it to the government, take a huge, huge chunk for overhead for the bureaucracy that produces nothing except breaks on free enterprise, innovation, the right to innovate and fail, apply, rinse, repeat until you get it right leading to things like much ever cheaper flat screens and supercomputers in your hand. And I mean, I go on and on and on, right? Cars that last forever now to where I mean, you don't need to trade it in every couple of years unless you want to. And tell your wife that you want that new car because it's paid for. And don't worry about it. It doesn't cost anything. So, but it's, it's the abuse of power. Now, politically speaking, if that's the rules that you're playing by, Perhaps the Republicans need to learn to play by those rules. The other thing that I think, uh, and we're having a hard time getting Carrie Sheffield, who's with Independent Women's Forum. She was going to talk with us about this budget debacle. But, I mean, this is a disaster looming on the horizon. And it's only because of Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, which are being, they're being hammered by the left. And they're even being hammered by the moderates, because this reminds me of the, the Obama get a deal for on any account with any terms just to get a deal with the Iran nuclear deal. Here's Joe Manchin in just a little soundbite explaining to reporters why he is standing firm. Testing means that you are we targeting the people that need it or getting it or the people getting it that maybe could do without and they're in pretty good shape so i said means testing i said work requirements those are all very very important in these things and that way you target children so you have the beginning of life our children pre-k yes then you have the end where our senior citizens want to live in the dignity and respect of their own home we can do that with some assistance and again some can pay some can pay a little bit and some can't pay any that's means testing it goes an awful long long way that way i'm just not so you know, I cannot accept our our economy or basically our society towards an entitlement mentality that you're entitled. Okay, I'm more of a rewarding because I can help those who really need help if those who can help themselves do so. Okay, so that's a moderate traditional Democrat stance that I think we could we could all at least have a, a civil conversation with and 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 maybe come to some policy agreement. I, for one, am on record as saying, because I'm a bit of a, I, I admit it, I, I, I'm self-aware, despite what my wife says. Uh, I'm self-aware. I know I'm a bit of an ideologue, as many of you may be. I think that really charity always 
and if not always, as much as possible, should always begin family, church, community, uh, you know, state, and, and last resort, charity at the federal level. It just, that is the redistribution given out by people, two, two people that are distant from one another, where the givers and the takers are too distant from one another, never works out. It, it ultimately results in entitlement, just like Joe Manchin just said. Now, Joe has caved before, but then we heard about this leaked memo or email between he and, and Schumer where he said no, early on in the summer, no, these are the terms. I'm not going to go for anything over a million, million, whatever, a, a trillion. I mean, you know, basically he set some, it's got to be, here's the parameters. And he's made his stance clear. And Schumer just bowled through it and said, no, I'm going to go with the progressives. Pelosi. I mean, what are these people? This, I, I don't know. How, how can anyone stand to be around them? I just, how could you stand to be in the same room with Pelosi and Schumer? I don't know how I could stand. I would probably have to not be in the room because I'd be disrespectful. I said that about Barack Obama because he lied. Started out during the uh, during the campaign when he said he wasn't going to take public money before he did take public money. He lied. And I don't do well with people who are disingenuous, who are disrespectful, very, I mean, just abjectly disrespectful and ignore any civil conversation and just Bull the head, uh, you know, bull rush ahead. I don't deal with that well. Um, I don't know. I, maybe that's just a maybe. Is that an arrogant attitude to say I don't? I, I don't cave to absolute power, ladies and gentlemen. It's we continue standards. to cave to it, and if we do, we're going to be we're not going to be a free people. It's called standards. I think that's just fine. Yeah, it's called principles, right? I mean, that's 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 what we're about here. I think, and what we try to. What we try to do on this station is say, look, if you want to have a reasonable conversation, there is a standard in this country that people who are truly in need and what he means by means testing can prove it. You know, a family of four without health insurance making five, you know, twenty thousand dollars a year. I, I don't have a problem with giving them some medical care assistance. I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'm okay with that. Would I rather that they got it through their church and their their synagogue or their their family? Yeah, I would, but I get it. On the other hand, you know, there's this is going to be this thing with the child tax credit has now been extended to where it's going to extend all the way up into middle class and upper middle class. Now, the Wall Street Journal said, hey, this is going to be a break for people that don't need it. Well, I land on the other side of the fence. Those who say that, you know, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos shouldn't get well, if they had children, uh, a, a child tax credit, I disagree. That, that's why I'm a I'm a I'm a a, a level tax uh, guy as well, right? A flat tax. I think that without I want a postcard tax statement. Randy Tobler should pay fifteen percent of his tax, whatever the number is, to make our budget work. A reduced budget, a markedly reduced budget, a chainsaw massacre hacked budget. I mean, really? <laughs> um, I think that Max, Randy, uh, you, President Biden, Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett should all pay the same darn tax. That that just makes common sense to me. That way, everyone has skin in the game. When you don't have skin in the game, you don't play it in the same way. You just don't. I see it all the time in medical care. There are recipients of federal and, and state insurance who don't have any copay or they have minimal copay. 
They overuse medical services. You and I may stay and watch our symptoms for a little while, as we should, you know, but there's people that overuse. Why? Because they're not paying the bill. Have you ever been out to dinner with someone and you say you got the bill and all of a sudden, you know, you're ordering the... You know the sirloin, and they're getting they're they're getting the porterhouse with the with the mushroom sauce and the truffle and the <laughs> and you don't say anything. You say that's okay. You're my guest. Do whatever you want. But you know what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. You go home and you tell your wife. You're going. Oh boy, I'm never going out with them again. You know. You go to their house. You go to their house and. And they serve you the doer scotch. You come to my house, you get the 20-year-old McAllen. I'm like, what's wrong with that picture? But that's okay. You're my guest. You come in. I'm just kidding. Come into my house. You'll get the 20-year-old McAllen. All right. Hey, that'll wrap it up for this week. Thank you, as always, for being us with us. And remember, we do answer to a higher power. We are principled. We do march for and maintain everything for the glory of God. Take a listen to this as we head out. See you next time. The beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea.